Hello everybody and welcome back to another brand new episode of Kavam, a Doctor Who podcast where of course you should know by now, but where we talk about Doctor Who, special features, Blu-rays, the documentaries, everything about Doctor Who except the episodes in many ways. Um, and today of course we're going to be covering off seasons 10 and 18 as we continue our sort of run through seasons of the collection that we didn't cover because we weren't a podcast at the time, but that you know it's a great opportunity with the re-releases of these seasons to be able to go and look back and discuss what was done so well and then what wasn't so well and also actually having the opportunity to be able to buy these releases now whereas you know previously they were limited edition and then gone forever but now with these releases you out there whoever you are listening you can pick it up so hopefully um it'll be an enjoyable chat to discuss both of these seasons today and all the documentaries and special features around them but of course ryan and charlie we uh we're recording this on sunday evening uh, hopefully the day before it goes up and we've just had some you know a fair amount of doctor who series 13 news and you know although we focus on special features the vam and all that we are still a doctor who podcast so we will talk about what is going on in the world of doctor who um so ryan uh we heard some news about doctor who this evening well firstly let me ask you uh the trailer did you enjoy the trailer did you get anything from the trailer was it just a few random shots of the the cast or was it actually an entertaining and interesting trailer it was just a few random shots of the cast if i'm gonna be honest it didn't excite me at all if i'm gonna be brutally honest i mean i really wanted to get excited about it but i just didn't have any reaction to it nor has this really got me excited to watch series 13 frankly yeah no i it's it's fair to say that that wasn't the you know the trailer to really get the fans excited it didn't have a load of monsters in it it didn't really give away anything um and so i think it was hard to get excited based on that but i do also feel like that's what the Christian Malia has been about in terms of marketing quite often. Uh, so, Charlie, we've also, of course, heard the quite you know significant news today that um, I'm sure we'll have more of a discussion about this. The fact that the, the series 13 is going to be one single story, like we think it's going to be eight episodes, maybe seven, maybe eight, something like that. But that the whole there's going to be one story that's played out over however many episodes there are. Do you fundamentally think that's a good idea or not? I think it's a brilliant idea, to be honest. Um, I think. Doctor Who has been making seasons every you know 18 months or so recently like it's still 2005 and it feels a bit stale especially with the Chibnall era so I think doing that kind of story which is kind of how you know programs are made now it would allow things to be shaken up a bit and hopefully sort of reinvigorate Doctor Who because obviously you know ratings are falling viewing figures are falling people think it's going to get cancelled in the next couple of years so hopefully this will hopefully you know, like sort of reboot the show in a way, a sort of a soft reboot. Yeah, exactly. I think it's it's a great opportunity to do something different with the with the program. As you mentioned, it's it's like they've been trying to do the 2005 series 12 times over so far, and they finally realised, actually, let's try something completely different. Try something that's actually just more in line with what television in 2021 is fundamentally like, in that most series, you know, a story lasts for a whole season. You look at Line of Duty or shows like that, it's very much about it being all one continuous story, not individual stories. Um, so I personally also think it's a really good a good idea. And I think it will really give the show the extra energy and boost it needs for a series that could, you know, become a bit same old, same old, potentially. Um, but Ryan, what was what, what did you think about this quite significant announcement? I do. I think it's an interesting idea. Um, the idea of doing a season long um, story arc I think it is definitely a bold idea my only concern is whether or not it's that's going to be enough to pull me back into the show after my 
excitement kind of got tarnished thanks to the timeless children which just sort of soured my enthusiasm and i only watched revolution of the daleks basically forced myself to watch it just to see how graham and ryan left the show because i was wanting to know how they left the show how their story was going to get wrapped up and so i only watched it purely for that and and then after that i just felt like i was kind of done with the show frankly and and the the idea of a season long story arc it does sound interesting but i'm not sure if that or getting um gray worm from game of thrones is going to be enough to pull me back in yeah I, as, as someone who isn't really a game of thrones fan and doesn't really tend to watch it um i was obviously a bit stumped by the um guests very special exciting super exciting guest that was somebody we've I'd never really heard of or thought was of any significance to Doctor Who. I kind of felt it was going to be somebody a little bit more important than that, somebody we actually recognised. Um, so I wouldn't exactly say he was, you know, a selling point to the series for me. Um, I don't know, were you guys a little bit underwhelmed by the fact it wasn't, you know, the return of Catherine Tate or, I, I don't know, David Tennant or somebody like that that seemed to be billing it to be? Yeah, I was I mean... very underwhelmed because of it, because, like, I I didn't really realise at the time that he was the special guest. I I saw the trailer and then I looked online like oh hang on a minute they were going to announce a special guest who is it I looked online and it was him I was I just thought oh that's a bit underwhelming I don't even know who this guy is you know <laughs> I was I was hoping for I don't know Nicholas Briggs or Catherine Tate or you know um, Billy Piper maybe but yeah I suppose it'll be okay. I mean I do like Jake Manson I do think he is a a solid enough actor I mean I of course he was good as Grey Worm in. Uh, Game of Thrones and I've seen him in a couple of movies and I do think he is good but I just don't know if his announcement again is enough to kind of get me overly excited about series 13. Yeah I mean the only thing I knew him from was his um, role in the first series of Broadchurch because of course you know 90% of actors that have turned up in Chris Jimmel who were previously in Broadchurch what a surprise um, and he had you know a fairly small role in the first series of that and that was all I was aware of him. Um, I don't think it's going to be one of those where, you know, it really brings in an audience at all. I feel like that's what they went for with, for example, Maisie Williams in Series 9. And I thought maybe that worked to an extent, but I don't feel like he's quite the same kind of, you know, calibre, like seen as a as significant an actor to really have that impact. But you never know, his character might be really interesting. We'll really like it. I guess we'll just have to wait and find out from that point of view. But um, that's pretty much the news we got for Series 13 um, this evening. Of course, we are a podcast that talks much more about, um, well, I guess, many of the classic series, um, among other things, um, which is something I'm sure we can all unite in our love for, even if we don't all love the current series quite so much. Um, the classic series is always going to be there and it was always going to be brilliant. Um, and of course, today we're covering two seasons of Classic Who in one. Uh, maybe it's a bit ambitious and bold to try and do that, but we're going to give it a go. Uh, so we're going to start, as I decided, we're going to start with season 18. Of course, Tom Baker's final season. Uh, I decided this would be the first one simply because it was uh, the first release that we got um, back in, I think this was released in February 2019, I believe. And then season 10 was the next release in, I think, July 2019. So it's been a little while now since they came out. Um, and of course, season 18 covers the the sort of final act of Tom Baker after, well, his seventh season. So he'd been doing it for quite a long time. And it's it very much feels like a complete shift in dynamic as of the program of Doctor Who, really. One of the biggest reboots of the show, to be perfectly honest, despite having the same cast, simply because it was the moment that John Nathan Turner took over as producer. And the show, I, I felt watching it, having done a marathon through from, you know, watching the Graham Williams era, suddenly John Nathan Turner turns on the scene and it feels like almost, almost a completely different program. Um, I don't know, Ryan, Charlie, 
obviously you've watched season 18 before do, do you see it as such a significant change of direction for the show as maybe i do yeah definitely i mean with season seven i mean, going from season 17 to 18 it's a complete drastic shift i mean season 17 with the exception of city and death and Sharda, which were the only really two solid stories of that season it was pretty much a a laughable mess, entertaining mess, but it's still, still a mess. And they kind of ended up turning into sort of a and then a lightweight sort of comedy show, pretty much. And so I welcomed season 18 like as if it was rain in the desert. It was such a complete shift. And we have John Nathan Turner coming in along with Christopher Hamilton bid me redesigning the look feel and sound of the show making it much more more kind of a bit more mature delving more into hard science taking it more seriously um giving it a more of a freshness to it that felt like it was kind of lacking in the graham williams period where you had stories that kind of looked tatty like underworld invasion of time uh armageddon factor those kind of stories so to come in and have it be sort of this bold new statement like Doctor Who is ready for the 80s I think season 18 definitely was that absolutely yeah exactly it certainly was a big change for the show and probably maybe something that needed I don't know Charlie would, would you think that season 18 was what kind of the show needed after the you know as as Ryan said the slightly laughable season 17 at points with you know how many nine ones have you seen today and iconic moments like that from season 17 which are great but also awful uh do you think season 18 was a step in the right direction to some extent, at the same, like, I, I'm going to throw in a controversial opinion here. I, I kind of loved season 17. It was, again, the stories were a bit strange and the production values weren't amazing. But at the same time, it, it, I just find it quite fun to watch. Um, yeah, seeing it in a marathon context, season 18 is very jarring. Um, and while lots of the things have improved, like it's more mature, like you said, Ryan, it goes into more hard science fiction, which I do prefer, I'd say. Um the stories themselves, I think they're a bit lacklustre for this new change in direction. Like, mm. the only ones I'd say I loved were State of Decay and Keeper of Traken, and the rest were passable, I suppose. But, um, yeah, I think it got the shift in the right direction, but this new direction didn't properly get going until the Davison era, I'd say. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I tend to agree that as much as it, feel, well, for me, feels better than 17, I don't think that it suddenly turned to turn a corner to its absolute best instantly as you say that there were good stories i mean i personally think that a story like warrior's gate is just bonkers but brilliant it's completely you know confusing and a bit nonsensical at points but i think it's just it's it's such a great you know we're exploring things that doctor only only a show like doctor who could do uh but then you just get slightly more average ones like megloss um full circle to an extent i don't think it's particularly brilliant and I've always felt that Lookopolis is just a slightly disappointing way for Tom to say goodbye. It's not by any means a bad story, but I just don't think it's quite the sort of absolute top tier finale that he really deserved as a Doctor. I don't know. What do you think, Ryan? I mean, I think both State of Decay and Warrior's Gate are the best of the seasons. I think State of Decay is, is such a great sort of blend of sci-fi and horror. And of course, Terrence Dix wrote it. So, And I feel like it was the one where Tom Baker, Tom Baker felt like he was on top form and actually gave a lot of energy, I felt like, compared to some of the other stories in, in the season where it felt like you can clearly tell where he 
his ill feeling and argumentative nature was more coming out in his performances throughout most of this season because of the fact that he was resigned to the fact that he was leaving. And Warriors Gate, I think, is such an absolutely fascinating story. I'm just even now, I'm still sort of blown away at the fact that they went so experimental and bold with this story. It's such an unusual story, even at the time when it was transmitted back in 1980. It would be, I'm still amazed that they managed to get away with some transmitted a story like this. And I'm, yeah, I'm just such a huge fan of it. And as for Logopolis, I mean, I enjoyed it as just as much as Planet of the Spiders. I think it's, so, it's a solid story, but yeah, it, I don't think it quite reaches the heights of like the better final stories, like say War Games or Caves of Androzani or Peter Capaldi's last three episodes. Like, it doesn't reach that sort of high tier caliber, which I think Tom Baker kind of needed, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it was always going to be hard to do him justice in many ways, having been there for so long. And then just having that dynamic of almost the show is just starting to move along almost before he's left because you've got that whole new production team coming in and very much wanting to kind of in really pretty quickly take it in a new direction, but they've still got to kind of tick the box of getting rid of Tom as the Doctor. I guess that was always going to present some problems into the into the pile. But um, Charlie, we come on to obviously the the features, the release of this um, box set. I know you've had more of a chance to look at some of the DVD stuff than the the Blu-rays. But what what was for you some of the sort of highlights of the the documentaries they made back in the DVD days for for these particular stories? I'd say um, there was a it was a proper feature length. Um, piece of them um, in the Logopolis DVD, which um, featured essentially just an interview with Peter Davison. But um, I think it was quite fascinating him um, explaining how he'd follow in the footsteps of such a legendary doctor. You know, it, I think it must have been very daunting for him, you know, filling these massive shoes that Tom Baker has created over his seven year run. It, it must have been quite daunting. And he was just explaining how he'd handle that and adapt to it. And I think that was really interesting. And there was one for State of Decay called Leaves of Blood, which um, it wasn't a huge documentary. It was just sort of explaining the influences that like vampires in the media had on the um, what they called like the, the three who rule or something from that story. So, uh, yeah, and there's a couple of others. Logopolis, there was one called A New Body at Last, basically a documentary just explaining the shift from Tom Baker to Peter Davison and The Watcher and all that. Yeah, exactly. I think there's there was definitely some good stuff on there. I, I know you mentioned the Leaves of Blood documentary, which are sort of, um, the, I think there was three of them grouped together in the still section on the Blu-rays that obviously they were done for the DVDs. And I feel like there was another one, I think it was, was it called The Blood Show or something that was a slightly bizarre feature where they got in some, they went to speak to some like doctors and nurses and stuff and talked about blood and like the actual like science of blood and stuff. It was... I, it felt a little bit odd and out of place. And it felt like they were really stretching and were like, we need to pad out this release. What can we come up with that's sort of vaguely connected to, to the story? Um, I don't know. Have either of you actually watched that feature? I watched it. Wadrick came out back in 2009, and I barely remember it other than the fact that it was kind of a bizarre feature to have, especially um, when on a Doctor Who DVD. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. It's it. It was a bit of an odd one. I feel you get a few of those, don't you? Through the um, different eras of the eras of the DVDs, there was a few slightly more odd features. But we come to what is new and what is exciting on uh, the season eighteen box set. Uh, I, I noted that I sort of had a quick look through because I hadn't looked back at this for a little while as to what was actually new on there. 
and it felt like that there was there were a few new documentaries on there but actually there was already quite a lot of content on this from the dvd range there simply was so much stuff that was done for this release previously that actually it didn't need huge amounts adding to it i thought um we look at like uh the leisure hive there's a new commentary on there with tom baker uh, i don't know ryan did you have a chance to listen to this commentary at all or did you not really get around to it i did listen to it um back when it when the box set first came out um and I believe it was basically with Matthew Sweet talking with Tom Baker. It was just basically like a routine chat about what Tom Baker was feeling at the time, uh, how he felt going into, into the 80s and sort of what his stance on with JNT was. Yeah, exactly. It was a fascinating time, wasn't it, for, for Tom having to cope with his whole new production team that wanted to move on from him in many ways and kind of... I'm sure for him realising after him sort of being in a seemingly irreplaceable position to suddenly be realising that he's almost being forced out of the programme must have been a really, really difficult situation. As we talked before, Matthew Sweet is a great guy for getting really interesting interviews out of of, of actors and and stars of the show. And so I think that a commentary like that is always going to be really interesting and worth watching. Almost maybe more as its own feature necessarily than it having to really tie into the story itself obviously they'll be reacting to that but it's much more about hearing just what tom was thinking about at, at the time that it, obviously the program was being making was being made should i say um and so some of the other things of course you know the standard we get behind the sofa uh so right behind the sofa for uh season 18 any thoughts on it is it one of the better ones one of the worst ones um i i don't remember much of behind the sofas i i only watched like the odd one or two when back when the set just came out and i thought it was an interesting um lineup and I've, what was definitely a good idea was that when they did added k9 and Co onto the last disc of season 18 they did a whole new different behind the sofa for that specific episode with john leeson and a couple of uh, cast and crew for from that episode, which I thought was a neat idea, and it's something an idea that I hope they would hope they'll continue on if they do something like the Wilderness Years box set, have different guests from that specific um, transmitted story um, for the lineup. Yeah, exactly. I think it was it's one of those great opportunities with I mean, they really went full on with I thought K9 and company and bringing in, you know, they did a new feature with Brendan. What was his name? Uh, well, the character's name was Brendan, wasn't it? I can't remember what the actor's name was. Um, who he played, who who played him, and they had a little sort of interview with him. Oh, Ian Sears, that was it. Um, a nice little interview with him discussing um, his his role on the program. Uh, something that for these actors and people was like a week. 40 30 40 years ago and they've probably never barely even thought about it since and suddenly we're doing a behind the sofa we're doing documentaries about it i just thought it was brilliant that they put so much extra effort into what was ultimately a power single pilot for a show that never even happened um i thought that's brilliant as you say ryan having that extra uh, behind the sofa with uh, john leeson sean chapman and Gillian marshall on it was was um just a great sort of extra way of doing it and i also i did also have to say i enjoyed the sort of standard behind the sofas i thought it was interesting to get um wendy padbury's perspective on the show because of course she was a second doctor companion uh in zoe and i don't feel like we've really ever heard much about her perspective on different eras of the show and it's that thing of just having uh, her sort of see you know clearly season 18 is very different to the Patrick Trailson era like it, it is a very different show and so seeing her being able to compare her experiences from back then to what the show is like in season 18 along with you know Janet Fielding Sarah Sutton who were in the later stories at least I think that's just 
create such an interesting dynamic between them as they're they're you know sharing they did just such a different way of making Doctor Who and what the show is like I thought that was a really great idea and I, and I always almost enjoy that second sofa more often uh, than the main one because you just get those sort of different cast members who aren't part of that season really having an opportunity to react to it i think these behind the sofas i think it's better to have different so for each season to have people who weren't in it because if there's companions who were in it well it is great they don't really like say a whole lot i think it's more interesting with the ones who weren't for example season 24 i preferred the colin baker and peter davison um sofas compared to the one with the actual cast mostly because with the actual cast they just sort of said oh i remember him or her with the actor like oh he, he was nice but um i think with the others that it's more interesting because they compare the era they're watching with the era that they were in like you said so i think it's better to have a nice range of other people who've been in doctor who but not necessarily in that era yeah, you're going to get some actual critique and real comment rather than just, oh, wasn't it lovely? They were a lovely actor. It's great to work with them, which is nice, but it doesn't really add anything to what you already know. And, and uh, the sort of, I guess, probably the sort of fans we are, we want to find out more information and get more perspectives on that story or that scene or that moment or something rather than just saying them saying, oh, it was lovely to be there. Um, so, yeah, that, that, that's definitely one of the benefits of Behind the Sofa and having that, that spread of people, as you say, on season 24. They did a great job of that as well. Uh, so if we look at um, looking through the box set, Megalos was another story that didn't really have anything new on it. it. It already had, well, it wasn't really a making of documentary, but having the couple of writers meet with, um, wasn't it, Chris, Christopher Bidmead and have a little chat about the story was really nice to see because they hadn't met, hadn't met each other for like 30 years since they'd done the story or something along those lines, uh, which is always really nice. Um, and then the usual behind the sofa and a few just little documentaries about the uh, the, the story and the sort of continuity and, and so on and so forth. But of course, we then come to Full Circle which has what I think is probably my favourite feature on this box set. Um, and it was A Weekend with Waterhouse, which is basically something that uh, they've done before in, Doct in the Doctor Who, well, back in the DVD range, they started this with Toby Haydock, who's a great, just a great, a great guy, frankly, a great presenter who's, you know, a bit of a comedian, but also has such great knowledge and interest in Doctor Who that it's absolutely fantastic. Um, and he's done this previously, I think it was with... Um, uh, who was it? Oh, it was uh, John Levine. That was it. John Levine. He did. He went and spent a weekend with uh, living with Levine, wasn't it? It was called back on uh, Claws of Axos or something like that. Um, and he basically just goes and spends a weekend living with these slightly lesser known personalities of Doctor Who, or maybe the slightly more closed off personalities of Doctor Who. And you find out that bit more about them. And so for this one, of course, Toby went and spent a weekend with Matthew Waterhouse uh, down in Hastings um, in his little flat there, I think. And sort of just basically spending a weekend with him, chatting away with him, exploring his favourite sort of spots locally and discussing his time on Doctor Who, his life since and everything. And I, I just found it absolutely fascinating because I feel like Matthew Waterhouse is, and Adric in particular is obviously quite a maligned character in Doctor Who. I think it's fair to say he's not particularly popular, but... Uh, and I think to some extent, Matthew Waterhouse as an actor and a person has also kind of ended up on the wrong side of that at points, where I felt like this documentary just really gave me a, a, a much nicer, kinder perspective of him as a person. And actually, he's a really wonderful person who is actually just a really big Doctor Who fan at, at, sort of at, the, you know, at his heart, really. And sure, he has very strong opinions and maybe thinks his character is actually a lot better than it was. I, I will say he likes to think he was like the greatest Doctor Who companion ever or should have been, but for the writing and the cast alongside him, which probably isn't true. But I, I, I just found the feature itself absolutely fascinating. I mean, I'm sure, Ryan, I'm sure you had a chance to watch it. What did you think of Weekend with Waterhouse? I thought it was a pretty fascinating documentary. I mean, I'm not going to lie. Adric is 
probably joint alongside Dodo as my least favourite companion. I just always found him... I just... I felt like his character was kind of pointless for a lot of the stories. I did find that a lot with sometimes with season 18 and 19. His character was kind of superfluous to the story, and I just didn't feel like... I was just like... Why is he even there? What is he bringing yeah. to the party? And it just, it, I did feel like that a lot with State of Decay to it definitely just feel like he wasn't needed. And, um, and which is a shame because Matthew Hot Waterhouse is a genuinely sweet guy. And I think this documentary definitely shows that. I mean, we see him in his house showing off his collection. And what really definitely made me happy was they showed off his, um, Blu-ray collection of um, the Adam West Batman series, which I not I'm not gonna lie, I also got that series as well. So good to know there's a fellow Adam West Batman fan there, <laughs> <laughs> and um, it was um, yeah, just um, telling his stories about how he got the part and um, how he was just only had like one major, like only one TV role before he got involved in Doctor Who which maybe kind of explain his sort of inexperience as an actor and um, playing Adric, but it was a fascinating story nonetheless and how he was a fan of the show and how jumping onto it, it was kind of a little bit terrible because of the fact that both Tom Baker and Lala Ward were very difficult people to work with for him. So the fact that he grew up with the show, seeing this doctors is here only to then, then turn out to be the complete opposite with Tom Baker just being just so down, so not in a good mood throughout this season, probably because the, he was concerned to the fact that he was leaving and everyone was wanted him to go. And so it was definitely interesting hearing Matthew's perspective on, on it. And I didn't think this was a great documentary. And there was one moment in it that made me laugh out loud, um, where he reveals to Toby that he wrote, I think it was a book called um, Sugar about a man dressed as a donut. And I can't even say it's not laughing. He, there's a bit in it where a woman, he says, this has appeared where a woman falls in love with this man. And yet, but she's more like love with the fact that he's dressed as a donut and he kind of, and she, that sort of makes her fancy him. And Toby's reaction is just like, Oh, and it was just, and that made me laugh out loud. It was just, yeah, that was definitely the highlight of what was in short a brilliant documentary. Absolutely, yeah. I, I Matthew's definitely an interesting character. I I can't say I'm going to go and rush to buy any of his books. Um, I mean, I'm sure they're an interesting read, but I don't think I'm going to rush out to try and get it because I, yeah, I, I'm I'm not sure if if it's really going to be something I I want to. Look, look too much into but um I, yeah i mean charlie I, I know you haven't had much of a chance to watch the documentary what's your kind of perspective on adric as a character um because again he's he's fairly maligned and as, as ryan said probably his least favorite companion <laughs> uh i'd say he's a lot worse in season 19 i don't think he has amazing chemistry with really any of the tardis team you know like tegan mm. mr or the fifth doctor but with tom baker and lala ward well they didn't get on on the set obviously um I think in the stories, they're okay together. Well, right, yeah, Ryan, you were saying how he's a pointless character in season 18. He um, mm. he, wasn't, he originally wasn't supposed to be in State of Decay and Warrior's Gate, so they just kind of yeah. gave him a very minor role in those two. But when it went to Keeper of Truck, and then um, he had more major roles, which kind of made it a bit worse, I think. Um, but yeah, Adric, <laughs> he, 
he's so smart at times he kind of overshadows K9 and eventually the Doctor and he just comes off as more of an arrogant brat than um, yeah, you know like a, <laughs> like a mischievous sort of impish character he, he doesn't come off as likeable like he's supposed to be yeah it does yeah, feel like he's written as a bit of an unlikable character by Leslie isn't he mm. yeah I remember that in a Fort to Doomsday that he blindly sides with the baddies thinking they're the best thing to have happened and and the doctor and I'm just feel like I'm the doctor just like will you just stop and listen and yeah I just feel like they didn't really have that much chemistry in season 19 with the Peter Davison and frankly I think the best character which is why I personally feel like the best character of Davison's run I feel like the most properly Feel, feels like a character to me was Tegan because she actually had showed the most personality and actually, well, for the most part, made a lot of sensible decisions that felt real. Whereas at someone like Andrea Khan was just like, why are you even here? And frankly, the only the only time he actually did something meaningful was his last story, Earth Shock, and he dies at the end of it, which it's a bit of a shame because it's like you were actually starting to get a bit interesting and then you get blown up at the end so yeah it was it was bad timing in that sense wasn't it that he'd finally got to being a more more interesting character but yeah i do think that weekend with waterhouse is is probably my favorite feature on this box i just think it's that it's that fascinating insight into him as a person and i do think like having watched the season 19 behind the sofas where you've got that tard the tardis team of of that season all together on one sofa or one one sort of seat um I think I don't know if I, I might have mentioned this before, but I just feel like Matthew C always seems so kind of on the outside of the group almost. Um, like, you know, there's very much the three of them dominating and they're all laughing at each other's jokes and whatever. And it feels like Matthew can barely even get a word in Edgeway sometimes. Or when he does make a joke, they don't laugh at his jokes. And it, it, I just get that va- that impression that, you know, he's he's kind of not as, sort of as part of the group as, as the rest of them. Maybe that was just the nature of, you know, the, the rest of them spending more a lot more time together on the show, maybe just uh, not, not as popular and not getting on as well. I, I don't know, but I just thought that was really, really interesting. And And as you say, Actually, his character was some often more interesting in season eighteen. Um, even with the difficult of, of onset relationships, obviously, I guess Tom and Lala's uh, failed marriage was probably one of the biggest problems. Being called or the whole situation with that going on through the season was probably one of the biggest problems. Um, and then just just being, I can imagine it just being a fairly awful working environment. It must have been a bit crushing, particularly once he'd left the show, having you know been a fan his whole his whole life, having had the opportunity of a lifetime. In many ways, it not really always going that brilliantly and then it's suddenly being over i can imagine that probably was quite you know tough to bounce back from really um and so i i think it's really nice that we get features like this to really just kind of celebrate him as a person and actually he's got a really interesting perspective to tell and as much as we maybe don't love his character he can still try and convince us that it's a great character even if we don't think so um but yeah so that that was uh weekend with waterhouse one of the fantastic features on this box set and definitely one of the ones i'd say is worth you know getting the box set for really is it, it really is that that fascinating i think so we look through the next few stories say it decay hasn't really got too much uh in the way of new stuff on there either i think there's a new commentary on there but not a lot else uh then uh, warriors gate um they give us a new 5.1 surround sound mix which is just brilliant because it's got a bonkers wacky soundtrack to warriors gate along with the story being crazy it's got a great soundtrack and great use of sound design as well and so i think it really lends itself to a 5.1 soundtrack and so i'd highly recommend if you've even just got headphones try watching it with that because i think it sounds so much it just sounds brilliant it sounds you get so immersed into it i think it's it's absolutely brilliant um 
But again, apart from that, there's not a huge amount new. Nor actually is there on, on Keeper of Truck, and they really do leave it till the final two discs to really bring in the new documentaries in the most part. Um, so, of course, we'll come to that. We've got Logopolis, which one of the big features of it is the updated special effects. Um, Ryan, I'm sure you've had a chance to watch uh, some of these effects. Of course, they went to uh, Jodrell Bank, which is where they were originally going to film the uh, scenes of the satellite station. And ultimately, obviously, didn't. Um, they used a model and, and so on and so forth. But that was the original plan. So finally, 35 years, 40 years later, they actually went there and did it. Um, and we get to see what the show would look like if those were a part of it. Uh, how well do you think that actually worked? And how well was it integrated into the into the episodes themselves? I thought it worked um, pretty effectively. I thought they did a good job of mirroring sort of the new effects in with the old ones. So it makes it feel similar while not detracting too much from the Doctor the fourth doctor's last big heroic moment. Um, I thought they did a good job with it. In a way, I feel like the effect, the new effects on Logopolis was exactly how I feel about the new effects on the following story, Castrovalva. I feel like these new effects sort of added more to the stories that maybe because of the fact that both these stories, both of which done by Chris Hamilton being made, were such big in concepts, I feel like they needed better effects to help support them. And I feel like these new effects for both these stories did work much more in its favor than probably did originally. I've seen videos of like comparisons for all of the box sets that I haven't got. And yeah, I do think it's um, definitely one of the better um, updated special effects. Like for season 10, I don't think they're all that amazing, especially, you know, the ship and Planet of the Daleks and the like. Um, but in season 18, I'd say they're the, they're the best integrated out of all of them, I'd say. I'd say season 23 is quite good as well. But uh, hmm. yeah. Yeah, they definitely do a good job with this one. I think it really lends itself to it and it really does actually add something. Because uh, I guess I'm, I'm often more inclined to watch them as they were originally broadcast in that sense and, and not always go down the special effects route. But I think in this particular occasion, it really does make a big difference to it and make it, it much more enjoyable. Um, and so obviously they also decided to do a new making of documentary for this uh, particular story, partially because the documentary which you mentioned, um, Charlie, a new body at last, is kind of much more about the overall kind of transition. So the last couple of stories of the season, the transition into uh, Peter Davison rather than purely on the making of the story itself. And so that's what we get explored in uh, this the, the the making of Fullercopolis. It's nearly an hour long, in fact. Um, and they visit the, they visit the locations, I think, don't they? And uh, go back there to sort of you know where the telescope was and everything, and, and use that as a just a, a sort of setting for the documentary, which is always nice. I felt like in some ways it was a fairly straightforward making of making a documentary if that's not a negative way to put it like not in in that i thought it was bad in any way just that it wasn't trying to be anything too uh different or unusual for a documentary it very much was just uh quite lavish and flashy making of documentary was my perspective i don't know what do you think ryan um i thought it was an interesting documentary i just it kind of felt like it went on a bit longer than perhaps it should have i feel like it was yeah they were trying to drag it out in certain places. And kind of some of this information I did kind of already know, having looked through other DVD documentaries, like some of this information like wasn't completely new to me. What was definitely fun, it was good seeing Janet Fielding talking about how she got cast as Teague. And that was something that I wanted, like how she got involved in casting. And also hearing sort of her perspective on Teagan, and which is was definitely interesting. I always feel like Teagan was... Um, of that early to mid 80s run, well, pretty much before Sophie Aldred's days, I thought Janet Fielding's Tegan was the best companion of the 80s, because I feel like there was more to her. And I actually feel like she was kind of almost like a prototype Donna Noble in a sense, um, that sort of more earthy, um, 
doesn't counter that wouldn't back down from an argument. Um, I feel like that's kind of who Tegan was. What was really fascinating was her admitting that they were, weren't allowed to see the rushes just to see what their performances are like. It was basically do a take, that's it, move on to the next scene. And her feeling like that's not the way you should do it. And feel like if she had, and she feels like if she'd have watched the rushes, she might have gone back and maybe improved her performance or maybe done something different. So it was definitely interesting hearing her perspective and also interesting hearing Sarah Sutton saying that because they were basically having to rush through the film into one scene's done, move on to the next one. It For her, it felt like because of this, it didn't allow her to get her teeth into the character of Nyssa, which is probably why, for me, like, it could explain why Nyssa, Adric, maybe Turlo, and even, um, well, I admit, Peter Davison's Doctor never really sprung to life for me or connected with me personally because I just never got the proper sense that... The, these actors were given much to work with or there wasn't that much to their characters in a way that perhaps there was a bit more with Tegan, I suppose. Yeah, I, from what you were saying, Ryan, I think the Fifth Doctor never really came into his own until the Caves of Androzani, which is a bit late, mm. really. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's rather a shame, isn't it? But it, it took his whole tenure for him to really become the Doctor we were all looking for. Um, maybe it's fair to say, but, you know... I guess it's the way it goes sometimes, isn't it? And uh, for, I don't think for many people, the fifth doctor is maybe our favourite doctor, but, um, you know, maybe he's not the worst either. Somewhere in the middle, maybe. Maybe. Optimistically. For me, uh, controversially, I know some fans are gonna, probably going to freak out. He's probably my least favourite doctor, um, which I, I think it was because of the fact that I just never really connect with him or got a sense of his doctor not, not until caves of androzani um i just feel like for a lot of his one i just feel like i just got a sense of an actor playing the doctor i think that's just what the sense i got from davison's doctor and i think that's probably why i never really connect with him at least with someone i like, say colin baker or jodie whittaker even though they perhaps didn't get the smoothest of runs i just feel like i remembered the more um, I feel like there was a bit more to them, whereas I feel like I didn't get that much with Davison, but that's a whole story for another time. <laughs> well, exactly. I'm sure when we come around to some more Davison stories and, and whatever, then we can certainly uh, have more of a discussion about that. But um, yeah, but coming back to, obviously, we talked about the, the new making for Logopolis, and I think, as we say, one of the tricky parts was simply that it was covering some of the same ground that the other documentary was covering. And so if you watch both of those in you know fairly quick succession, it it can give a you know, a feeling like you're just hearing a repeat of the same stuff because there are fundamentally some of the same interviews being used in both of the stories, um, which in, in both the documentaries, which does make, you know, it a bit repetitive at points, I guess. But that's just kind of the nature of having um, do sort of multiple documentaries from different releases all put onto the same release in the end. I think that that can just have that impact naturally. Uh, so that's pretty much the main of the, the new stuff for Logopolis. Um, and so we come to the final disc, which is sort of the Canine and Company disc, but also a few other bits and bobs on it as well. Um, I know we kind of already covered the Canine and Company stuff, but obviously, as we said, it's got a behind the sofa for Canine and Company. Uh, there's this the interview with Ian Sears, who played the character of Brendan. I think they do a fun little spoof uh, version of the intro for Canine and Company as well, which is really fun because, you know, it's it's an iconic introduction, if nothing else. I don't know if you'd say it's good, but it is iconic. Um, it's legendary and... for Elizabeth Sladen's reactions alone. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah. They, are, they are truly iconic. 
truly iconic. Um, and that, that that covers off for most of the stuff for Kane and Company because there was already a few features from the, the previous DVD release on there as well. Uh, and then the other kind of main document new sort of feature that we get on here is the writer's room. And I think I'm right in saying this is the first time they did the writer's room feature because they have done it since. I, I believe they've done it since. Uh, was it on 20? Was it was it 23 or was it 26? They did it with uh, after this. I can't actually remember. I think it was with 23 they did it yeah. because I think they were talking about I think they were talking about the stories that did they were going to do but didn't come through because of uh, the hiatus that happened and then it got restructured into the trial season. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But of course, for, for people who don't know, uh, the writer's room feature basically brings together the writers of various stories from whatever season, obviously with this one, season 18. Uh, they go down the, basically go down the pub and have a little chat about the episodes they wrote, what they think of each other's episodes, how they all came together and, and all of that, essentially. Um, so obviously we've got Christopher Bidmead who wrote um, uh, uh, Castro and um, Logopolis. That's the word I was looking for, Logopolis. Uh, Andrew Smith, who uh, wrote Full Circle. Stephen Gallagher, who did Warriors Gate. And John Flanagan, who was one half of um, Megalos, I believe. Did I get that right, guys? I think I got that right. Um, nailed it, nailed it. Um, and obviously they, they all sit down and have a really nice chat about their um, different stories. And I, th I think it's a really nice to get that perspective, as much as, you know, obviously some of them haven't gone back and watched the stories particularly recently and are just kind of remembering from the time what they thought of it, I think. But I think it's still just a really nice to get sort of everybody to the different writers who are involved in completely different stories but around that same time being able to discuss the different production kind of problems they faced i guess there's the scripting problems they faced obviously this series you know introduces three new companions through the season um and so there was that challenge that was sort of factored into it and able to discuss as well so i thought that it gave just a really uh a slightly different perspective to what the making of get give you because they are usually interview each of those writers but only individually and so you've they're very much just talking about their own story oh yeah i had this idea this i did this because oh yeah they wouldn't let me do this blah 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 and you know it's interesting it's great insight but i think having them being able to talk, bounce it off with other writers and getting real they, they really sort of like appreciate each other i think they love to kind of you know it's quite a, a positive and quite a praiseworthy sort of session always for them they're all like oh yeah your story was great no i really enjoyed it it was lovely and it just feels like there's a great camaraderie between them. I think it's really sort of great to see that that, that, that is still there all these years later. Um, Ryan, what was your sort of thoughts um, and your take on this this particular feature? Um, exactly the same as you, Elliot. I thought it was a, a definitely a good sort of chat between these this selection of writers and hearing all the different thoughts. It was interesting hearing that um, Andrew Smith wrote Full Circle, and I believe he was only about 17, which yeah. is frankly amazing um i mean i wouldn't have been able to write a story about nearly half as good um, at the age of 17 but i'm i'm which is why i'm probably a bit more softer towards full circle because i'm amazed i'm frankly amazed at the fact that he managed to get what is a competent story out at the age of 17 i just think that was definitely commendable um and also hearing stephen gallagher talking about how his opinion on the final products of Warriors Gate, how he feels very up and down towards it. Like he he does like that they managed to get his ideas across, but yet he's also still kind of miffed that he feel like he's still kind of a bit watered down because of the fact that they had to translate it to screen and as well as the fact that his dialogue got rewritten. So it was definitely interesting hearing from him. What really surprised me was that Christopher Hamilton Bidmead is not a fan of State of Decay because he's not a fan of the Hammer Horror 
elements and thought it was against what he was going for with the season, which is was definitely a bit surprising considering that I feel like State of Decay is one of, if not the best story of the season. Yeah, exactly. It's, it was um yeah, quite surprising. I guess that's just not what he his vision of what he wanted Doctor Who to be in that season, because of course he was basically the script editor for at least half the season, I think. Um and so I guess that was kind of one that you got the impression it was one of those old, oh, I've been lumped with this script. I've got to produce it, even though I don't really like it very much. And, you know, it's obviously just a shame that it was Terence who'd wrote who'd wrote that. And watching that documentary, it was only a few months, of course, before he passed away, was um that, that documentary was released. I think it was was it all august 19 and this was released in february so obviously terence is still with us when uh they they put that all together but yeah it was a bit of a shame that that he seemed to have quite a negative perception on it but it's also interesting you mentioned about stephen gallagher and his thoughts on uh warrior's gate it's quite fun watching the different features uh some of the ones that were done like sort of you know 10 12 years ago compared to more recent ones and it feels like you see that kind of change in perspective that he's talking about where 12 years ago on the original sort of making of he's very critical of a lot of it and what he's sort of the outcome of it and everything whereas i feel like now he's a lot mellowed that bit more and i think that's just the fun thing with these blu-rays and almost having a, a second go around with a lot of these stories it's sort of like you're given these these writers or the actors or whatever another 10 or 15 years to kind of think about or sort of change their opinions almost on some of these stories or, or the situations they were in and stuff i think that's just a really a reminder of some of these great opportunities we get with with the blu-rays of being able to do things like that so i think that's really uh really cool really there um so yeah that pretty much covers most of the new stuff on it really there's there's the usual sort of you know convention footage and uh archive interviews and obviously the, the blu-ray trailers on there and all those kind of things the pdf content and, and, and all of that uh but overall it, it i think season 18 is a very decent release i feel like it's one of those where there was simply quite a lot already done on the DVD range that it didn't necessarily need as much new content to kind of create it into a full box set. You feel like there's quite a lot there where, and, and also there were seven stories plus K9 and Company. So in terms of pure episode content, there's already quite a lot on there for a box set compared to say season 24, where there's only, you know, 14 episodes at all to be able to talk about and then they've got to really fill it with a lot of other features as well particularly with the popularity of it so i don't know charlie obviously you haven't been able to get the the blu-rays but looking at it overall from the the dvd range and the stories themselves what's your overall perspective on season 18 um it's very much a mixed bag like i i didn't actually mind ledger hive that much i can't remember much of megalos but um i did actually really like state of decay and keeper of truck and and the rest like um full circle i do quite like because um, the writer of it wasn't too far from my age when he wrote it, and I think that's really impressive. Um, and uh, yeah, Warriors Gate is absolutely mental, and Legopolis, like you were saying, it's fine. It, it's but it's not the send off that Tom Baker deserves. But overall, I do quite like the hard sci fi elements, the new direction that JNT was taking the show in, the new the new score as well. The soundtrack's fantastic, and just mm. generally, it's a well deserved reboot. Exactly. Yes, Ryan. What's your your overall specs on season eighteen and looking at the Blu-ray as well? Um, I in terms of season eighteen, I do think it was a a solid season. I wouldn't say it's Tom's best one. I mean, it doesn't quite reach it doesn't reach the heights of those first three seasons of his with the Golden Age and even the Key to Time season. I don't think it quite reached that, but I still think it was. A pretty solid season. I think it there was definitely more good stories. I feel like the only story that I didn't really engage with was Meg Loss, and but I think that was pretty much about it. Um, I do think it was a solid season. I do think that and the last two seasons, 25 and 26, were definitely 
the strongest story seasons of the 80s definitely for me was so the beginning of the end so which shows that for me there was definitely a mixed bag of white noise in between um so yeah i think it was a solid season and so the fact that it's got a blu-ray release i was obviously going to be excited about it. and i think they did a pretty solid job with what they did manage to put towards it even if i did think that maybe certain documentaries were stretched out far longer than perhaps they should have been yeah exactly i think overall it's a solid season solid in the most part as we say um a very decent box set i mean i don't think there's any bad collection box sets maybe this is one of the less just one with less opportunity to enhance it if nothing else i think and so it's still a very good release and certainly if you haven't got all the dvds it's 100 percent worth it um but maybe there are ones that have got more new content on than this one for example um and so but that pretty much brings us to the end of season 18 so of course we next move on to the our other box set of discussion today season 10 uh the fourth john pertwee season out of five the final one for katie manning's character joe grant as well uh featuring five stories uh a part of of course one of my my and i think ryan's personal favorite eras of the show uh in the john pertwee era so this is very much a you know a, an area of, of of doctor who we love to have a little chat about uh but charlie what's your perspective on season 10 uh as a, as a season and the stories honestly i love season 10 i'd say it's up there in the top five seasons i'd say you know up there with 16 14 uh 7 8 those sort of seasons um i really do enjoy it i think the only real weak point was planet of the daleks and even that was passable you know but like three doctors frontier in space um green death were all phenomenal stories and when i go to collect the collection box sets that have already been i'm prioritizing this one i'd say yeah, exactly. I, I think that, you know, season 10 is, is a fantastic season of Doctor Who. As you say, there's no bad stories there. Planet of the Daleks is the least good one. And yes, it is a rehash of probably bits of every single Dalek story that's been in the past up to that point. But it's still not bad. And all the other other four stories are pretty fantastic, I think, personally. Um, I mean, Ryan, what's your, your take on the other sto- these, these stories? Yeah, I think this is a consistently strong season. I mean, I mean, I think with season seven eight and this i think he had three good strong seasons absolutely and as i said um i agree planet of the daleks is probably the weakest one but as i still had a fun time with it and especially compared to something like death to the daleks it's definitely a step above that story um and i did enjoy carnival of monsters and like the idea of them being trapped inside like a a monster mini miniaturizing machine i think that's such a fascinating concept and it was good interesting to see that idea got reintroduced in a doctor who live show back in 2010 when matt smith's first year they had the grandson of the inventor of that machine be in main character in that show so it was interesting to see them sort of use this use the story as kind of a template for that and it just goes to show what an entertaining story that was and as I said, Frontier in Space, I think, is solid, even though I did feel like the middle chunk of it, where the Doctor gets, where the, they keep getting recaptured, get sent to prison, and that whole middle chunk with the Doctor in that prison didn't really need to be there for me, personally. But other than that, with that I thought it was an interesting story about um, with the Master and the Ogons trying to initiate this war between Earth and Draconia. I thought it was a, definitely a fascinating idea, a pretty solid story, and obviously both the three doctors and green death is 
are just phenomenal stories. I absolutely love them. I think they're some of the best of the 70s, definitely. Yeah, and you, yeah, you've pretty much summed up my opinions. I mean, I think Green Death in particular is is a proper top tier Doctor Who story. It's just, it feels like one of the sort of pinnacles of the unit era of Doctor Who, really. You've got all of the iconic characters of the unit era, of the Brigadier, of Sergeant Benton, of, of Captain Yates, of Joe Grant and the Third Doctor, and everybody, all a part of it, firing all cinders. I think it's it's, it's such a phenomenal story uh, to end the series on, and just the perfect conclusion for Joe as a character as well. I think it's absolutely fantastic. Um, but of course, we're here, of course, to talk about the Blu-ray as well. Um, and so one of the first things I actually wanted to talk about was the behind the sofas for this one. I know we obviously mention them every time, uh, but I just thought in particular, well, one of the notable things with this box set is that the behind the sofas are quite long uh most of them are like 45 minutes to an hour long i think the green death one is pretty much an hour long and um ultimately which which is maybe a little bit too long because on most of the other box sets they're much close to half an hour and i think that probably is generally a better length for them but just the interesting thing i found for me was uh again the the the, the good old second sofa as we were discussing which features uh phil collinson pete mctai and joe wilkinson uh of course phil collinson producer from the rtd era uh and pete mctai and joe wilkinson uh, joe wilkinson being uh writers from series 11 and i think pete did series 12 as well so sort of people who are very new who centric and involved in new who having being able to go back and watch these classic who stories particularly for i think it was uh phil collinson who you know watched these as a child and was going back to them i think that was a great really fun perspective and you, obviously up until season eight we didn't really get any other new who sort of people having a perspective on on the classic series through the pine so features i don't i don't think i'll miss anybody else out um so i think this was just one of those fascinating opportunities to uh get that different perspective again i mean ryan what 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 was your take from it on the behind the sofas you, you did get to watch i thought it was definitely um, an interesting item definitely a shaker which i feel like it kind of needed so to have a bit more different perspectives and the fact that they got in sort of new writers um um new from and producers from um modern doctor does hopefully give me a bit of hope that maybe they might do this if they that is if they ever decide to do modern doctor who for the mod for the blu-ray collection range um hopefully and maybe they could do a reverse idea like um have the modern people be the main sofa while the backup sofa be the classic um yeah, exactly. cast. i think that would have been a good interesting idea um but yeah it was definitely a good lineup particularly for this season and i did as um i felt like it was kind of interesting that they stretched out the behind the sofa for the green death i think it was because of the fact that it was joe's last story that it that perhaps they wanted to give it that big more momentous behind the sofa that that story needed and of course seeing katie richard and john getting emotional at um joe's farewell which is frankly one of the best companion exits ever it it was definitely a good note to go out on and then recollect to their memories and how fond they are still are of each other. It was, it definitely kind of made that extra length worth it in the end. I feel for me. Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. I think it, it it gave a great extra, just just extra opportunity to give a perspective. I think some of the the behind the sofas were maybe a little bit overly long, and I think in general it's better to stick close to half an hour. But some of those really important stories with important moments, I think it's good to give that that extra opportunity just for the 
uh, the, the 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 original cast really to give their perspective on what it was like filming what were some very challenging scenes at time is probably the, the best way to describe it. Uh, so one of the other big features on the the three doctors uh, disc, look, just looking at that as it's the first one up, was the looking for Lenny feature, which uh, again features Toby Haydock and is one of those these another one of these fascinating um, Chris Chapman documentaries where they basically go in search for information about uh, someone involved in Doctor Who, who we really know nothing about. Uh, this is, of course, Lenny Main, who directed this story. And I think he directed a couple of other Doctors as well. I can't actually remember which ones, but I'm pretty sure he directed something else. Um, I think he did also did Monster Peladon, and I think he also did... Yes. I think he definitely did do Hand of Fear. He definitely uh, did Hand of Fear. Yes, but he so he directed a few Doctor Who stories, and I think he... He and then and then he kind of disappeared off the radar. I think then passed away, and so we we and we very much sort of you know for the last thirty years there's been no real information about who he really was, what you know where he came from, his family, anything really. And so this this uh, is a feature that sort of sort of is a spin off of uh, a feature looking for Peter. I think it was called back in on the Sensorites DVD. I believe it was when they were looking for Peter R. Newman. Who I think was the writer of the or maybe the director. I can't remember one or the other of the Sensorites. I really should be better at my dog two knowledge here, shouldn't I? But it's fine. Uh, and so, you know, Toby Haydock basically goes on a mission trying to find people and meet people to try and find out information about this 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 chap who died 30 years ago and we know nothing about. Um, and I just found this documentary both fascinating and also kind of just giving quite finding you know quite a sad story really in 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 the way he passed away and and seeing i think there's this this sort of suitcase it wasn't there that hadn't been opened for for 30 years or something that's still an original suitcase that he'd packed and just fascinating little things like that i thought you know it really gave us an in some information and, and a fascinating perspective on somebody we really knew nothing about before uh right i don't know did you get a chance to watch this what did you think of it yeah, I absolutely agree with you. I definitely think it was a fascinating insight into a director that we didn't really know that much about and that seemed pretty much mysterious up until then. Um, and it's, it is really sad that you have a man who was who loved the water, who loved the ocean and would tragically be the end of him and how he, how he fell into the ocean and his body was never recovered and it was just it was really sad and um also it was definitely great also to hear like other people's perspective like andrew morgan who was another dot two director talking about him bernard cribbins turning up speaking about him his experiences with him and hearing all the different um, points of view um also from uh, his daughter as well it was definitely a fascinating insight and how they explained like he used his sort of background as a a dancer and a choreographer and how he used that in relation to camera movements and camera techniques i definitely think that was it was definitely a fascinating insight yeah exactly I, yeah it as you say it was a tragic story of his death ultimately um and i think that these documentaries have such a a, a gentle way of going about telling a very tragic story ultimately of giving us the the uh, positives the joy that you know his life was and and the things that he did and as you say the the sort of attitudes and ideas he brought into doctor and directing it and and directing one of the most significant stories in the show in the three doctors it was the first multi-doctor story the first anniversary special it was a huge story for doctor who to do that and he was the man behind it and so the fact you got that opportunity i think was absolutely brilliant and and, and as we say this documentary just really brings that out and brings out the person that he was so i, th I think it's 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 one of those documentaries that probably only appeals to a very small amount of people, us, you know, obsessive Doctor Who fans. 
but actually watching it it's it's fascinating we really get that that new piece of insight it's, it's not just the same old same old anecdotes from you know katie manning that we've all heard before it's actually something new and fresh on a documentary and i think that's absolutely brilliant personally um so that 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 kind of covers off at the three doctors disc i don't think there's anything else particularly new on that on that particular disc uh just some of the same stuff that was on the the previous special edition um there and then again it's fairly similar on carnival of the monsters apart from the new uh, behind the sofa um there's there's sort of you know various other stuff there's the early edit for episode two i think as well which had a couple of extra deleted scenes in it but that was also previously on the special edition because it's worth noting that both the three doctors and carnival monsters both got a, a sort of special edition release as well as the original dvd release so they were pr already pretty well stocked on special features when it came to it. i mean charlie what what was your perspective on some of the uh sort of dvd special features because i know those in particular had a lot of stuff on them previously yeah there was one for three doctors special edition and it was called like like was Doctor Who rubbish or something like that and it was sort of defending the often maligned parts of it like you know the bad special effects the filming in quarries and mm. that sort of stuff and it, I just thought it was quite funny them sort of defending even some really bad and you know <laughs> like glaring flaws in it like you know you can just admit that it's not perfect but yeah I thought mm. that was quite amusing yeah exactly i mean unfortunately that has been actually removed from this particular box set once it went over to the blu-rays i think they're looking to put it on you know like the wilderness years or, or something I don't, I don't know quite where it'll end up but i certainly watched it back on the dvd range and it's it was a really just a fun kind of light-hearted you know heartwarming look at, at the show and going yeah sure there are wobbly sets there were terrible pieces of set and whatever and yeah they're all all the planets were quarries but you know we we love it it's great it's doctor who and we're not going to in any way be negative about that and so i think it's kind of once you get past that and accept some of the shortcomings in that sense you can just doctor who was never rubbish you know it, it was a it's, it's always been a great show for so many different reasons and and it's just it's great to have those sort of you know fun looks back at it that, that really can just bring out some of the positivity of it i think that's really really great uh so yeah we come through kind of monsters and then we move on to frontier in space um which again i don't think it has huge amounts new to it uh obviously the behind the sofa um covering it off again um and it also reintroduces the uh pertwee years little introduction to the final episode as well uh the old pertwee years vhs box set which where he recorded various introductions to sort of individual episodes that were included within uh that vhs release so that's just you know a fun little archive feature that i don't think has been on anything since the um since the vhs days and then there's also i don't know uh, actually charlie you probably have what if you've seen frontier space and planet of the lights you probably watched these really quite odd two-part making of sort of making of documentary called the perfect scenario um which sort of has it has a whole sort of storyline and they're like you know ed we're educating us on like sort of culture and politics of the time alongside the stories in a really weird way uh i don't know have, did you manage to watch these um i honestly i haven't watched them in my rewatch recently yeah but i think i do vaguely like being really confused at a documentary like if i accidentally change the source and put this other channel on because <laughs> it's it's just the most niche weird documentary i think i've ever seen like is this doctor who anymore yeah it, it's it, i think it sort of brings us like they're on some weird planet or something and they're inside some sort of matrix database type thing looking at 1970s earth to learn something and then using Toronto Space and Planet of the Daleks and comparing it to current political situations and social situations and stuff. It's it's wholly bizarre. I guess it was like they were trying to just make a making of that's a bit more quirky and interesting. But 
I, I, I don't know. I don't think it really added anything too much. I mean, Ryan, did you have you ever seen these ones? I haven't checked this one out, but definitely hearing from you guys, I think it does sound actually kind of fascinating to watch just to see what it's like. I mean, yeah, it's certainly very unusual. Um, I mean, it's an hour of your life because there's two. It's a half an hour on Frontier Space and half an hour on Planet of the Daleks. They were obviously released on the DVDs together, um, and so it's sort of a two-part making of that kind of crosses over, and. Yeah, you know, it, there is some good. Well, it's, it's sort of a making of because I think there was separate making of documentaries on there as well. So it wasn't meant to be the primary making of. It was more of a, as I say, a cultural social look at the story and its connections to the real world, um, which I'm sure, yeah, stories like Frontier in Space kind of did have a lots of kind of you know, cut and the part where you're in general had a lot of stuff talking about sort of real world issues within the story and and you think of the Green Death and stories like that and covering covering those things off i think that that can be quite interesting but yeah maybe in these features was a little bit too far should we say um so we come along to planet of the daleks that's the next new thing uh, a next story up there with with something new i know i think charlie you mentioned this briefly earlier was the uh special uh special effects they did for planet of the daleks which uh, unfortunately are probably as you say some of the weaker stuff they've done in terms of uh, vfx i mean i know you said you watched the comparisons what what was your sort of thoughts on it uh, for the most part, like there wasn't a whole lot in Planet of the Daleks really, um, compared to some of the other stories, like in other box sets such as Terror of the Autons or something. But um, for Planet of the Daleks, like the ship, the um, Supreme or Emperor Dalek, or whatever, the Supreme Dalek ship um, landing down, looks almost as bad as the original. I think, like I'd rather it look too practical than too fake and CGI. You know, mm. yeah exactly exactly i mean ryan have you watched it with the special effects yeah i only watched it once and i didn't feel like i it really improved that much in <laughs> comparison to say like logopolis or castrovalva i just feel like it was just sort of an, an addition a, a neat little addition but that's all it is really it did i just didn't feel like as i said it added much to the story that that it, what was already there before yeah, exactly. I, I, you know, it's it's one of the weaker ones. Maybe they just had less money left to spend on it. Maybe that was what the problem was this time round. But I don't think it's one of those versions that I'll really be rushing back to too often. Uh, but then we come to the Green Death, the final story of the season. Uh, one of the main new features on this particular disc was the Keeping Up with the Joneses feature, which saw Casey Manning and Stuart Bevan go back to some of the locations of the Green Death, go and meet some of the people who were there on the filming days. I think there was um, a couple of kids who sort of bunked off school to go and watch the filming or something, I remember, which was quite a fun little moment talking to them. And, you know, I can't imagine, you know, those kids ever thought they'd suddenly be interviewed on a documentary about Doctor Who because they bunked off school to go and watch it being filmed for a day. But it's, it's just... Just that that kind of feeling of for these small sort of towns where Doctor Who rocked up for a few weeks 40 years ago it was such a big it was a huge deal because they all still remember it they all still remember being a part of it and I just think it's so fun to watch and to hear that and, and to see those perspectives uh Ryan what did you what did you take from this particular documentary I thought it was a fun little documentary um seeing um uh, Kate Manning and Stuart Beaver uh, together again riding around in Bessie going to all the different locations um and how much it has changed since they filmed in 1973 and especially um how they go to the mines where that major um place where the mines i think it was called the ogleave mines i believe it was called it might be, might be yeah, something like that yeah um and just how it's now just nothing but 
Greenland and there's only little tiny parts that remained built a sort of like a shrine to sort of rep to um, respect the place as it used to be. And the fact that it got shut down only two years later and just seeing how emotional sort of Katie got um, because of that, because that was the location that she remembered the most. Uh, it was definitely interesting to see them going back and see how much has changed since then. Yeah, exactly. I think that, and we obviously got a similar thing um, on the season eight box set when they went uh, back to Devil's End as well. Uh, that was sort of the spin-off of, of the, the sequel to this, shall we say, as well, which is really nice. And hopefully, you know, maybe we'll get an opportunity on another Pertwee season to have another one of these, depending on what um, uh, story, I guess, they choose to cover with it. But it could be quite interesting as well. So that was a really fun new feature I think they got to introduce on that. Uh, then, of course, we come to the bonus disc of the last few new features on there. Probably my favourite, personal favourite feature of the, the whole box set, the very, very feature length, uh, Doctor Who and the Third Man, which is basically a sort of retrospective documentary looking at the whole John Pertwee era, essentially, uh, with Matthew Sweet as the sort of host of it um, set uh, on the, in wasn't it the house where the Three Doctors was filmed? Was it, was it there they did it? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so that's a great location to start with to, to be able to do it from. And well, one of the things that I thought was particularly brilliant about it was they had Stephen Moffat and Mark Gatiss, of course, to come and chat about it as well, because so seldom on more, some of the more recent Doctor documentaries have we actually had new who sort of, you know, writers and people involved in the show come and talk about the classic series. But both of them have always talked about how much they love the third, the third Doctor era, particularly Mark Gatiss. And so obviously it was an obvious choice to get them on there. And I think it helped to just give a really interesting perspective on that whole era and, you know, the way that season seven was so dark and how that just couldn't have continued through later seasons. Otherwise, the show would have just become way too bleak. But actually, that season itself is just brilliant. And they agree with that that sort of perspective as well, I think, is, is, is fantastic. Uh, so, Ryan, yeah, what was your take on Doctor Who and the Third Man? It's definitely, I agree with you, it's absolutely my favourite feature of the season. It was definitely interesting to see how the Pertwee era, how the, how the consensus, the idea behind it came about, how Derek Sherwin feeling like he wasn't a fan of how um, there, there were so many outer space stories and feel like it needed to change and how he wanted to make it so much like Quatermass and that he wanted it to be confined to Earth to get make it feel more grounded, which is why Unit was created in the first place. And it was so interesting to see that after he brought it to life with Spearhead from Space, he immediately left afterwards and left everything in Barry Letts and um, Ted Stick's hands, which I, for what I understand, it made John Pertwee angry to begin with. It's like, you brought me in and then you suddenly leave. And so, but in a, but then again, it proved to be a blessing because teaming with putting John Pertwee alongside, along with um, Barry Letts and Terrence Dix, it produced one of the best eras of the show's history and how they they do start off within that sort of mould and how it how each season feels different in the Pertwee era. They always shake it up, which I think is shows why the Pertwee era is so amazing is the fact that it each season feels different and you see Stephen Moffat and Mark Gatiss talking about that talking about how how diff how it evolves and transitions into each season and hearing Stephen Moffat's um, perspective on just like who the doctor is and he makes a great comment about how it feel like with the Pertwee season it was the first time the doctor was properly the central hero of the show because before that you know, with William Hartnell 
even though he was sort of he was the doctor he wasn't like like the central hero in say like ian chesterton and it was the same with them patrick chan because jamie was there to do the fight scenes and all that but with the poetry era moffat observed definitely was the fact that if there's a big chase sequence, the doctor's at the centre of it. He's the centre of the fight scenes. He's the centre of the peril. It's and it hasn't changed since then. And which, and, and he's absolutely right. Ever since then, it's always the doctor's at the centre of the action. That he's always there. And watching this documentary, it just makes me miss Stephen Moffat's passion for the show. <laughs> As I was. Um, Rewatch it again recently. I just thought to myself, man, I just really miss Moffat talking passionately about Doctor Who. That is just something I sorely miss nowadays. Yeah, exactly. I think that yeah, Stephen is definitely one of the highlights of the the documentary, and his his just he's got such a fascinating perspective on the Doctor, what the character should be, what the show should be. He had such a great a real vision for that, and and that it was influenced by so many different eras of the past as well, which I think was just absolutely fascinating, and and as you say, was really brought out in this documentary as well. And so that pretty much brings us to the uh, conclusion of uh, the Season 10 box set. There's also an omnibus version of The Green Death, I think, which was aired in the late 70s, uh, which is on there if people are interested in it. I haven't actually personally watched it, but I know that there are sort of people who, you know, watch it at the time that are really interested in those kind of things. And it's great that they kind of have all these different sort of things on there just for people to be able to enjoy, alongside lots of archive stuff. Um, and even death, The Death of the Doctor, the Sarah Jane story as well, because, of course, it included Katie Manning in there. That's on the final disc alongside everything else um so that pretty much covers off season 10 uh we're running out of time so we'll wrap this up reasonably quickly um but yeah i mean overall guys do you think season 10 is a uh, top quality season of doctor who do you think yeah definitely i think as i said it ranks alongside series season seven and seven and eight as um the best of the john pertry era and i think they did such a good job with um, this box set and highlighting just how special that season and especially the whole john pertry era is absolutely yeah, I absolutely agree, Ryan. Season 10 is just amazing. While in while last time I said season 11 wasn't great, um, but yeah, I, I do really, really enjoy season 10. It does not have a bad episode. It's just everything is running at full cylinders. And I think it makes my top five, if not definitely my top 10. Exactly that. Yeah, it really is one of the probably one of the best seasons of Doctor Who that well at very least one of the best ones that's been released so far if nothing else um, and I'm sure there's many great seasons to come as well so that pretty much covers us for season 10 and season 18 of uh, the classic series of course their re-releases are available to purchase now um, we've got the Web of Fear coming up next month the animation is coming on the 16th of August and then Evil of the Daleks on the 27th of September so two brand new animations to look forward to very soon and on the next podcast of course we're going to be talking about another animation and well also the Kane animation it's going to be our Sharda special edition because there's been about 10 different versions of Sharda we're going to talk about them all so you know exactly what they are why they were made when they happened and what for um, but that's about it from this edition of Kavam we will see you again very soon Goodbye.